Hey everybody, we hope that you have been joining us for our legal live events on Facebook, and we hope that you've been liking them as well. And just a quick reminder that we're going to be live on our Facebook page on the first and third Thursdays of every month at 11 a.m. sharp. And we're going to discuss that week's podcast. So after you listen to this podcast and you have questions or comments, please send them to LegalLive at VirginiaRealtors.org before this Thursday. We'll discuss the topic and answer your questions live. During the Legal Live, you can also post questions in the comments section of the video feed and we'll answer them. Yeah, if you have questions after the event's over, or if you just don't want to raise your hand in the middle of class, or if you have a question about a completely different topic, you can always send those questions through our legal hotline. You can find that on the Virginia Realtors website under the Four Members Legal section. Please listen carefully. Hello, and welcome to Caveat Realtor with Virginia Realtors, where we discuss the real issues that realtors face. I'm Jessica Toon. And I'm John Haley. Remember, Caveat Realtor is meant to provide general legal information. Nothing we discuss should be considered as legal representation or legal advice. Hey, Jessica. Hey, John. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. Good. I feel like today's topic is going to maybe have a generational divide. It very well could. Yeah. When did you get your first cell phone, John? So when I was in high school, I would take my mom's cell phone when I was going out. Uh, I got my own cell phone when I went to college. Okay, yeah. It was a like a brick, didn't have a flip or anything. Was it a Nokia? I had the Nokia brick. No, it was not a Nokia. Okay. I can't remember what it was. It was with Altel, which is the <gasps> yes, the so old, was mine before it was absorbed by Verizon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> Memories. Yeah, yeah. So I got my first cell phone that had text message capability. Also, when I was in college, but I never used it because each text cost money. Right. Yeah. So definitely didn't use them the same way that we do today. I feel like this conversation is going to cause some listeners to say you guys are really old, and others to say. You young whippersnappers, what do you know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, it's really, the reactions are really going to run the gamut, I, I, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so today, right, we're going to discuss text messages, specifically whether you can make an agreement or ratify a contract by sending a text message, something we probably never would have thought of when we got our first cell phones. No, no one, definitely no one was making uh deals by text message back in in 2001 when I got my first cell phone. But some of you use text messaging more than others. It ranges probably from no business done by text message to a significant portion of your business operations occurring through text messaging. For some, it functions like email, or you might see it like a quick phone call. Some people even use full signature blocks to identify themselves as a sender. However, while text messaging might be beneficial to your business or your most comfortable way of communicating, talking to you millennials, just kidding, I'm kind of a millennial technically, old millennial, all of these uses and actions can be interpreted under the law in certain ways, some of which might be risky to you, so let's discuss. Yes, let's. Before we get into an instructive real-life fact pattern, keep in mind a couple things that we're going to talk about. Contracts for real estate in Virginia must be, one, in writing, Two, they must contain the essential terms of the agreement. And three, they have to be signed. So with that out of the way, let's dive into it. Here's the fact pattern from a 2016 court case in Massachusetts involving the sale of a commercial property. The buyers and sellers agents negotiated terms for the sale and drafted a letter of intent memorializing those terms. Then comes the now infamous text message exchange. The seller's agent, whose name is Tim, sends a text message to the buyer's agent, Steve, that states, quote, Steve, 
the seller wants you to sign first with a check and then he will sign. Normally, the seller signs last or second. Not trying to be stupid or contrary, but that is the way it normally works. Can Rick, the buyer, sign today and get it to me today? Tim, end quote. End quote. Yes. Okay. Nicely done. So what do we have here? We've got an agreement to terms, but there is no signature on the contract. And then a text message stating the seller's intention to sign the contract once the buyer signs. And the agent in question has signed the text message with his name, Tim. So after that, the buyer's agent responds to the text within a few hours. Quote, Tim, I have the signed letter of intent and check. It is 4.24 p.m. Where can I meet you? End quote. So now we have an affirmative response and one party's signature on the written contract. Can you guess what happens next? I bet you can. Otherwise, this wouldn't be a case study. Right. The seller refused to execute and entered into a contract with someone else. The buyer then sued the seller and claimed the agreement combined with the signed text message from the seller's agent indicating an affirmative intent to sign the contract together made a complete and enforceable contract. In the lawsuit, the buyer asked the court to enforce specific performance of the contract. The seller countered that the statute of frauds had not been satisfied, so the contract was not enforceable. Are you really anxious to hear what the court said? Well, you're going to have to wait because we're going to come back to that in a little bit. First, let's unpack this scenario if it happened in Virginia. Virginia follows the statute of frauds with regards to real estate contracts. Under the statute of frauds, as the seller in this case indicated, all contracts for the sale of real property must be in writing to be enforceable. So let's start here. Was this contract in writing? Well, there's no question that the letter of intent, which was in writing, satisfies this requirement. But what about the text message? Is that considered a writing? So this is a gray area legally. Um, as we know, sometimes the law is slow to catch up with technology. So most states, including Virginia, have adopted the Uniform Electronic Transactions Act to govern electronic writings and signatures. And under that act, electronic writings and signatures may be considered legally equivalent to physical writing as long as the parties agree to conduct transactions by electronic means. But the statute does not explicitly state that a text message is an electronic writing, so it is open to interpretation. And we love things that are open to interpretation. California is the only state of which we're aware that has bypassed this interpretation by adding language to the statute of frauds that expressly states a text message is insufficient to create a contract to convey real property. Their reasoning is that a text message is, quote, of an ephemeral nature, end quote. We're working some SAT words in here for you guys today. Yes. Uh, in other words, it's too temporary or short-lived to count. It's more like an oral statement, not permanent enough. And whether you agree with that or not, at least it is a clear standard. The rest of us are stuck living in the gray zone. So in the case we've been talking about in Massachusetts, the court there did hold that a text message can potentially satisfy the statute of frauds, provided that the message or messages together contain the essential terms of the transaction and are signed by the parties or their authorized agents, and we'll get to that more in a little bit. It's unknown whether a judge of Virginia or even a different judge of Massachusetts would find the same way, but any precedent like this is something to keep in mind. So if a Virginia court were defined the same way, that a text message is considered a writing that could form a contract, the message would still need to contain all the essential terms of the agreement in order to be enforceable. And what are the essential terms? Again, we are running into a gray zone roadblock. There is no set of specific terms. Courts have referenced price, closing date, title, deposit, financing, and other contingencies. But ultimately, we don't know what a court would find, and it would definitely depend on the set of facts at hand. So the facts we're working with in our Massachusetts case study but the text message itself did not lay out any essential terms, but it did refer to the letter of intent. 
The court found that the letter of intent contemplated all material terms of the contract, and because the text message implicitly incorporated it, that the statute of frauds was satisfied in that regard. So, John, now we'll get to the signature part. The seller's agent in this scenario did sign the text message with his first name, Tim. In Virginia, would that agent have the authority to bind his or her client to the contract? First, shout out to the Virginia Realtor Standard Forms. Virginia Realtor's exclusive authorization to sell form, which is Form 400, covers this by stating, This agreement does not confer upon broker the power or authority to either make or accept an offer or counteroffer to sell the property. The property may be sold only by a written agreement executed by owner or by an attorney in fact for owner under a written power of attorney. Broker's authority hereunder shall be limited to marketing the property for sale and such activities as are necessary or incidental thereto. So in plain English, Mm -hmm. that means that the listing agent does not have the authority to sign on behalf of his or her client without more documentation. But what if you're not using a Virginia Realtors form or the form you're using just doesn't have that kind of language in it? Well, again, to use our favorite answer, it depends. In this case, it depends on the circumstances of the situation and whether the party to the contract had given the licensee decision-making authority. So, for example, if they clearly appointed the agent as a representative of theirs who could sign contracts, that would be an example of someone having actual authority. That's unusual, particularly in a real estate transaction for residential property, and we definitely don't recommend that you do that. The other way a court could find an agent has this authority is through apparent authority, which is squishier, which is a technical term. Technical legal term right there, squishier. Squishier. And because it's squishier, it would depend even more on the specific facts of the situation. In fact, in the case we've been discussing, the original judge in the lower court found that some evidence showing apparent authority of the broker was enough to qualify that signature as binding. But an appeals court judge overruled that, saying that there was not enough evidence to conclude that the seller authorized the broker to sign on his behalf or that the buyer had a reasonable basis to assume so. So, as all good things must end, so does our case study. There was no enforceable contract, but only because the text message in question was from the agent and not from the seller himself. All other requirements were found by the Massachusetts court to be satisfied within the context of their negotiations and prior dealings. Of course, we don't know how a Virginia court would have ruled on any of this, or how any court would actually rule if the seller had been the one who sent the text message. Take it to the legal hotline. All right, John. So the seller has their home listed with Agent A. Agent B shows the house to a potential buyer and brings a written offer to the seller. The seller counters with changes, which is transmitted by text message from Agent A to Agent B. The buyer agrees to the counteroffer, and that acceptance is communicated, again by text message, from Agent B back to Agent A. But before a paper contract is finalized with the agreed-upon changes, the seller changes their mind and will not sign. Is the counteroffer from the seller sent by text message legally binding? Is the buyer's acceptance? Is the seller's agent considered a principal acting on behalf of the seller, and if so, liable for the seller refusing to move forward? Lots of questions, sorry. Lots of things there. (laughs) Uh, We'll try to unpack all of those. So there is an agreement, but likely no enforceable contract here because neither party signed a written contract with the final agreed-upon changes. It's unknown whether a Virginia court would find this agreement to be a written contract via text message. It might also depend on what the exact text message was. For example, did it reference the written offer in any way? Further, if a court did find it to be a written contract by text, The court would then also have to find the agents here had the authority to bind their clients to such a contract. Without more facts, we can't know how that analysis would go. But, as an agent, it's best to be careful how you communicate electronically during a negotiation. 
All right, Jessica. A seller has rejected a buyer's offer. Is the seller obligated to send back page one of the offer, stating that it is rejected, or would a text message suffice? There's no requirement that a seller respond to a buyer's offer with a rejection notice. That's why it's so important for a buyer and their agent to withdraw an offer in writing if the buyer is no longer interested in the property. Alternatively, as the buyer's agent, you could include a clause stating that the offer is void if not accepted by a certain date to avoid this issue. Please also note that the 2019 Code of Ethics has amended Standard of Practice 1-7 to state that upon the written request of a cooperating broker who submits an offer to the listing broker, the listing broker shall provide a written affirmation to the cooperating broker stating that the offer has been submitted to the seller or a written notification that the seller has waived the obligation to have the offer presented. There's no standard for written here, so it's certainly possible that a text message would be enough, but you may want to choose something more formal like a letter or an email. All right. Last question. I'm the broker of a small firm. Recently, I took a class that discussed keeping files for three years, including all the emails and text messages of agents. Does Virginia law require me to have every email correspondence and text message for my agents on file for three years? So the Virginia regulations regarding the maintenance and management of the financial records by brokers state that brokers must retain, for three years, each brokerage agreement, disclosure and consent to dual or designated agency or representation, disclosure of a brokerage relationship to an unrepresented party, executed contract of sale, executed release from contract, executed lease agreement, executed property management agreement, and a settlement statement related to a real estate transaction. Also, a complete and accurate record of monies received on behalf of others, so receipts and disbursements, for three years from the date of closing or termination of the sales transaction or termination of a lease and conclusion of the licensee's involvement in that lease. If any of that information is contained in an email or text message, then that also applies to those emails and texts. It's a good practice to know what kind of business your agents are conducting by electronic means, so you know what you might need to keep records-wise, which leads us to ways to limit your risk. So brokers, know what kind of business your agents are conducting via electronic messages, including text messages. You should have a firm policy regarding this and keeping copies for your records. If you don't use text messages yourself, Ask your agents how they use them and discuss options with an IT professional and your attorney before drafting any policy. Agents, be careful with how you approach electronic messaging on behalf of your clients. Know that it could be considered a writing and it is possible that you could be binding your client by signature. It may be best to include an upfront message by email or text that you do not have any authority to bind your clients to a contract. Only they can sign on their own behalf that any information in your electronic messages cannot be construed or used as a binding contract. You could also make it a part of your email or text message signature. This would help if you end up in front of a judge trying to decide this question. Accepting an offer or a counteroffer by email or text message can be risky for you and your client. It's best practice to not rely on emails or text, but to get a fully executed written contract as soon as possible. If you find yourself in a situation where you're questioning whether a contract has been formed and whether your client is now bound, speak with an attorney as soon as possible. Thank you for joining us. Caveat Realtor is a weekly podcast with episodes released every Tuesday. Our podcast is available for streaming through iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Subscribe to our podcast to get automatic updates when we have new episodes, and please rate us. Remember, members of Virginia Realtors have access to our legal hotline. We can provide you with legal information. You can access the legal hotline on the Virginia Realtors website under the legal tab on the four members section. But make sure you're logged in to see this page. Thanks. 
Although the members of this podcast are attorneys, the legal information in this program is not a substitute for personalized legal advice from an attorney licensed to practice in your jurisdiction. The information provided by Virginia Realtors is general reference work as a public service and does not constitute solicitation or provision of legal advice. We provide this general legal information on an as-is basis. We make no warranties and disclaim liability for damages resulting from its use. Legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case, and laws are constantly changing. The information provided in this program should not be used as a substitute for the advice... ...of competent counsel. This has been a production of Virginia Realtors, copyright 2019. This podcast features the song Please Listen Carefully by Jazar, available under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike license.